This is Parker Hesse. This is Sam Branks. You have the pleasure of listening to Hawkeyes and Tallboys. Cheers, motherfuckers. Welcome to the Hawkeyes and Tallboys podcast. Featuring your host, Bo Freeborn. You know, guys, even though we get two conference losses, we're still going to end up 9-3. and three. We're going to win the West, for sure. Dylan Pine. Here's the thing, fellas. I'm going with it. 12 and fucking 0, baby. We're going to do it. Let's fucking go. Woo! And Rob Wall. I mean, that would be shocking. But we can do it. I mean, I think we can. So crack a tall boy. And go Hawks! Alright, welcome into another edition of Hawkeyes and Tall Boys. My name's Rob. My name's Bo. And Dylan! Dylan was still muted, but I'm Dylan. Let's go. Perfect. And today we are joined... Oh, first off, we're going to crack a beer here. And I was uh, chatting to you. Uh, if you wanted to grab a beer, we can wait for you, Mike. We have some great guests on um, this this week. We have um, per, a couple of guys who we joined, uh, who we added us on Twitter, and uh, we're able to have them come on to give their thoughts on this week's game. We're going to preview with at Kent State. But before we do that, and before I introduce those guys, guys, let's go ahead and crack a beer. All right. <laughs> Perfect. So joining us today are two special guests, first of which Tyler Henry. He's a grad assistant at Kent State. He's the sideline reporter for all, for, uh, all the different sports. He's a broadcaster for all sports except football. So welcome to Tyler. And then also we have Micah with us, who is at Fifth Quarter Maction on Twitter. He is a Mac fan and a Kent State fan. He's going to be watching all the action, as he put it, every Wednesday night in November. So welcome to both of you guys. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it so much. Perfect. So today, guys, um, obviously, you're we're Hawkeyes and Tallboys. So we love to, you know, break down every week uh, our Iowa Hawkeye football team. And then um, so we're going to start with that. We're going to kind of rewind the clock back to Last week, we had our rivalry game, which happens the second week in every season. And we're looking at um, Iowa State. And it was a, uh, if we remember, it was number 10 versus number nine when it came down to uh, the game day. And it, was an, and it was an incredible game. We actually came away with a win, 27-17. So quickly, guys, I wanted to get your thoughts and so we can break down, you know, how this happened. I, I honestly... Didn't expect us to win this game. I think, Bo, um, you picked us to lose. I did, dude. I did, and I was well surprised. I was yeah, awesome Bo's game. a traitor. But, yeah, you think about this. Bo, for both, both, you guys, both you guys knew on the pod here tonight, the last three years I picked Iowa State to win, and they've lost. So I'm going to keep this bitch going. I'm going to pick Iowa State from now on so we can keep that thing going. That sounds like Bo's our resident traitor Iowa State fan. Right? That's <laughs> That's Bo. He's got a little bit of Central Iowa bias coming from New Sharon, Iowa. So it makes sense. He he's got those cyclones in his ear a little bit, but <laughs> farming community, uh, baby. Gotta stick there with you him. go. There you go. That's fair. That's fair. But no, guys, looking at the game, um, it was awesome. Awesome one. Uh, if 
you know, I'm sure most of you guys listening got a chance to watch uh, if our Kent State uh, friends did not. Just so you know, you know, the defense caused four turnovers, looked great. Uh, you know, supposed All-American quarterback Brock Purdy threw three interceptions. Uh, All-American <laughs> Brees, Brees Hall fumbled the ball at his own six-yard line. Maybe it was four-yard line. I can't remember exactly what it was, but Jack Campbell had a scoop and score after that. So, uh, overall, the defense was just – an absolute unit. Uh, that was great to see and uh, really echoed what we saw in that first game versus Indiana as well. Uh, some of the negative things we'd heard a little bit, Spencer Petrus's stats, you know, he went 11 for 21, 106 yards and a touchdown uh, that he threw to Charlie Jones, which was an absolute dime of a pass. But overall, you know, he had his highs and he had his lows in the game. Uh, I've heard a lot, a lot of shit talking from Iowa, Iowa State fans, et cetera, this week about you know, how our offense isn't where it needs to be. Let's, let's not act like we just played two slouch, you know, FCS teams. Cause that's not the case. Like both of these teams are, you know, had phenomenal secondaries and phenomenal pass rushes as well. So uh, just to come out of those games with W's, I think that's the most important thing. And really the last thing I wanted to touch on, we've talked about it year after year. And, you know, I think the Kent state fans are going to know where I'm talking about too, watching a little bit of their film, but this was one of those classic Kirk Ferentz, what we call the boa constrictor games. So, you know, there's teams out there, you think SEC, you think Big 12, and what do they do? They typically go for the jugular. You know, they want to beat you 55 to nothing. Uh, not Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. You know, they, they want to grind you out into the fourth quarter where, you know, it's 14 to 10 going into half. You know, every, you still feel like you got a shot, but slowly but surely, you know, they're going to, you know, maintain time of possession, not turn the ball over and score points, frankly, and, and use the punting game and use special teams to help them win the game as well. So this was just one of those classic games where the score always looked close, but those of us watching, I think we can all agree. It never felt close, or at least it didn't feel close to me. I, I never once had a doubt that Iowa was going to win this game. I guess, what do you guys think? I thought the coolest part about it was that college game day was in Ames. I mean, for the second, basically the second year in a row, so to speak, with normal normal football terms. But um, they had uh, obviously an Iowa faithful, Ashton Kutcher on, who was going to pick the Hawks, came <laughs> in a big black combine, which was dope as hell. And then when Corso put on that Hawkeye hat, I was like, oh, let's fucking go. This is, we're in for a game day or a game today, boys. And it was a lot of fun. So, and then like you said, Bill, won the field position battle. Played one hell of a game. Defense looked awesome and uh, really looking forward to this next game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Some things to note about the game, guys. Um, defense caused four turnovers, like you said, Dill. Uh, <clears throat> Spencer Petras didn't have an outstanding, you know, passing, um, you know, outing, but he was there and he was able to get it done. He pretty much managed the game. He didn't make any huge mistakes. Uh, Tyler Goodson had 21 carries for 55 yards, but uh, yeah, he did have a touchdown. Um, I think really when it comes to this game, oh, and the biggest one, obviously one of the the most interesting things about this team right now is it was their 24th straight game of the defense not allowing the other team to score more than 24 points, I believe. 23, 24, maybe it's 25. It's somewhere in there anyways. Uh, <laughs> is it 24? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've said this stat so many times, I get the numbers switched around. 
because I'm just counting each game. You know what I mean? But anyways, it was a wonderful game. It was great to, uh, I was actually out of town, so I was not on last year or last week's podcast, but um, it was great to come back to Iowa and, you know, see that score and watch that, rewatch that game and all that. So perfect. So moving forward, guys, we are going to look at this next week's game against Kent State. And uh, looking at uh, this Kent State team, guys, I'd just like to maybe toss it down to our guests. Um, and, you know, tell me, tell us a little bit about this Kent State team. Because to be honest, like the only reason why I know what state Kent State is even in is because of that uh, Neil Young song, uh, Ohio. Or, uh, yeah, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, this is this is not the same Kent State team that, that everyone saw a season ago. I mean, everybody talks about Sean Lewis and what he's done to kind of revamp this team, and they talk about the flash-fast offense. And, of course, the numbers back that up. I mean, you look at what they did last year to four-game sample size. They had the number one scoring offense in the nation. They had the number one total offense when it comes to yards gained in the nation. But that defense was terrible a year ago. You're talking about a defense that was the bottom 10 in the country in yards allowed on the ground this year, they have completely turned things around. They have tightened that up and they've done so with turnovers as well. This is a team that's number one in the nation in interceptions They're number two are their number one in interceptions, number two in turnovers gained number three in turnover margin. And they're also number three in the nation right now in rushing touchdowns. So this is a team that has shored things up on the defensive side. That's really what surprised me and what I think has surprised a lot of people here. And again, you look at the game against VMI. Yeah, that's not a very good football team. But at the half, they held Texas A&M, who at the point at that point in the season were fourth in the nation. They only had 10 points and 200 yards on the board before the depth kind of overcame what Kent State could put out there on the field. So this is uh, this is not the same team as last year. This is not your classic MAC team that's going to need to win in a shootout. This team is for real, uh, and I think they can surprise some people this weekend. And going off of what Tyler just said too, you know. Kent State also leads the country in rushing right now. I mean, it's something that he kind of mentioned was touchdowns, but a lot of that did come against VMI. But talking about 300, it was yeah, 336 yards of total offense against Texas A&M. I mean, I, I get it. It's Colorado. They're not they're not the powerhouse that, you know, the 1980s and 1990s type teams. But, I mean, Colorado had less total yards than Kent State did against Texas A&M. So something to obviously keep an eye on, you know, if you're a uh, Iowa fan plus – I always like the, the humble you guys are talking about your big win over Iowa State. Last year, Kent State dropped 69 against their rival. So I think we had a more impressive win against our rival. <laughs> so there is that as well. I'm just putting that one out there. Where, where the flash pass offense, like he mentioned, is just something that we really didn't get to see it too much against Texas A&M. They actually, you know, like Iowa should dictate the pace, you know, that will slow down, you know, Kent State. But you'll see when they get first downs, you're not going to be able to show a replay. They're going to be lining up 10, 15 seconds later and snapping the ball, which big fans are probably not used to. I think we uh, we heard today in the uh, player conferences or interviews, whatever, that uh, this is the fastest paced team that they think they've ever seen play on film. I mean, they just get to the ball and they they love to snap the ball like you alluded to. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what Iowa does against this because we saw a team in Iowa State that does like to go hurry to the ball but not as fast as them, uh, as Kent State, and then obviously not as as uh, continual as Kent State. Oh, absolutely, and and great great preview, guys. You know, a lot a lot of that information I didn't know, so I really appreciate it. But you know, just digging into a little bit of some of our homework and film study and that sort of thing. You know, 
I know Tyler mentioned it talking about last year a little bit, that three and one record, you know, beating Eastern Michigan, Bowling Green, Akron. Uh, what I couldn't believe looking at just the schedule, just purely the numbers from last year is just the amount of points that Kent State offense was putting up even last year, you know, losing to Buffalo 41 to 70. I mean, that's in a game you lose and you still score 41 points. Like, yeah, that's, that's not something we're used to in the big 10 anyway. So uh, just incredible. And I guess I, I would just want to hear you guys, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about that offense. And, you know, I got down as some of the impact players to keep an eye on, you know, quarterback, Dustin Crum, uh, running back Marquez Cooper, wide receiver, Nikeem Johnson. Uh, anybody else I'm missing there on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, yeah, I mean, Xavier Williams is is one of the biggest ones. You know, they, they talk about that two running back tandem that they like to run between Marquez Cooper and Xavier Williams. And it really is kind of a thunder and lightning kind of a thing. Um, Cooper is kind of a, the more classic one cut kind of a back, whereas Williams, you know, he can come out of the backfield, he can catch passes. Um, but typically he's the guy they go to, you know, and they need one or two yards, you know, if they, if they need to pick it up quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, you wanted to elaborate on the offense a little bit, just to give you the numbers from last year, I mentioned they were number one in the nation and both, they averaged 50 points and 607 yards per game in the, in those four games. Um, and, and again, you're not going to see those kinds of numbers put up in a, in a full season this year with a, a much stronger strength of schedule. Um, but they're able to do things that they just weren't able to do last year. And I think one of the biggest things that we saw in that BMI game, and yeah, it was an FCS opponent, um, but they were able to get such a good push. I mean, they literally there for a while, Dustin Crum, one of the better quarterbacks in the nation, did not attempt a pass because they didn't need to. They just kept running it down VMI's throat. Um, and they're not going to be able to do that against a, a stout Iowa you know, defensive line. But again, just seeing kind of the growth and seeing, you know, where this offense has come from, you know, they're no longer relying exclusively on gadgets. Now they have the tools where they can go out and they can hit you how they want, when they want um, with, with that flash fast offense. Something to mention too. I mean, you mentioned BMI. I mean, I understand it's an FCS team. Obviously Iowa has played two incredible opponents in back-to-back weeks. So shout out to Iowa for that. But, you know, BMI was a FCS playoff team that took JMU to the ropes in the spring. You know, I'm actually, I played in high school with a couple of kids that, that actually are at VMI currently and actually talked to them a little bit after that Kent State game. Uh, and, you know, one thing they mentioned was, again, just how easy it was running the football. And, you know, you look at VMI's defense, that's actually what their strength of their defense is. I, mean, I don't want to go into a VMI preview, but VMI's defense is based on their actual ability to stop the run. They play teams like the Citadel. They play teams like Furman that are running FCS top runners every single year. So to see Kansas State have that much success, something that's very promising and something too, to kind of note when we're going to Texas A&M, yes, it was 41 to 10. Obviously that kind of shows you that Kansas State got outmatched, but Kansas State turned the ball over in the red zone twice. So they were getting down the field. It wasn't like that Kent State was out here, you know, punting after a three and out or maybe getting one first down on a drive. They were moving the football. Again, they had way more success than Colorado's offense had against uh, Texas A&M. And at the end of the day, too, you know, we're talking about offense, you know, this is a shot at Iowa State. I think that Kent State has a better quarterback. I think Justin Crum is a better quarterback than Brock Purdy, to be really honest with you. Wow. Whoa, I love that hot take. We got some Iowa State fan listeners too, believe it or not. So they might come after you for that one, Micah. But that's okay. <laughs> well, if Brock, if Brock sure Purdy was so elite, one. he would win. He would win some games uh, that actually mattered. I'm just saying. You <laughs> <laughs> might actually, you might actually win. You know, they won't upset Oklahoma when they're down. I mean, that that's all I got to say. <laughs> Love it at fifth quarter action. 
Um, I'd love to look at, uh, so I actually did end up catching a little bit of that Kent State Texas A&M game. And uh, uh, you could look at, um, which is interesting, I actually was looking at that betting line too, because if you look at that at halftime, that game, it was 10 to three. Um, so it was pretty close until like, you know, the second half. But I mean, um, it was very interesting to see like a team like Kent State who has that ability to, uh, you know, just put so many points on the board and like keep it close the way they did. Um, I think it's going to be, I think Iowa is going to be hard pressed to, uh, if we get into like a shootout situation, um, which I hope that our defense is able to, to step up. But um, another interesting thing to look at when you look at this upcoming game, guys, um, I just pulled up some the DraftKings odds here for our degenerates out there. Uh, but we're looking at if Ken State's at 230, uh, said Iowa is minus 22 and a half um, as the favorite, and the over-under is at 56 and a half, <laughs> which, I mean, as far as like college lines go, isn't insanely high, but I could I could see a world in which the over hits on this game for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm taking the over for sure. And also, I, I don't hate Kent State to cover. You know, I, I really – I think I had some questions about this team going into that Texas A&M game, and I think those questions were answered. Um, and, look, I was, I was going to be a, a tough team here. And, obviously, I, I'm not saying that I think Kent State's going to come out here and pull an upset – um, against a Big Ten opponent, because at the end of the day, that's what happened against AM. You've got, you know, you're just three, you're three deep at every position with guys that would start on any team in the MAC. Um, but that being said, I think I think this game stays close at least through the half, and I like Kent State to cover. I, I really do. I think that especially with what I saw last week, and, and then kind of getting things rolling and establishing that confidence with some new guys in that offense, I, I think this team is set to cover this week. To top off that, I mean, it's my question. I, I think Kent State covers, but I guess the question, and this is more for the Iowa guys, I mean, it, I don't know Kirk Ferentz's history with letdown games, but if, if, if as someone that just follows college football, this just screams letdown game for Iowa. I mean, you just played two top 15, uh, correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Indiana was top 15, right on the cusp of a top 15 team when you played them. You know, that's two weeks in a row. You can't tell me that, I mean, most teams in, in the country have a letdown when it comes to you see Kent State on your schedule and you've just beat two top 10, top 15 teams and you're sitting pretty at, you know, as some people even say, as high as number three in the country in some of these AP ballots. I mean, uh, is that something that maybe concerns you guys? Because if that's the case, that's where Kent State covering is pretty confident for me. So, again, Kent State just keeps it close. Again, talent-wise, they're not going to be able to compete with Iowa. But I guess you guys think that's – yeah. Possibility for your, for your Hawkeyes? I'll, I'll take this one as somebody that was in the stands to watch Iowa lose to uh, FCS North Dakota State. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility where, you know, if that team doesn't come out and which it doesn't sound like they're doing this necessarily, but if you come out and you don't take Kent State seriously, I think they got the offensive firepower that they can make your life hell. I think. And all you got to do is look at that first half of that Texas A&M game to see that. So what I'm hoping as a fan is that they're, you know, not because you, you call it a letdown game, Micah. I'm thinking of it more as like a look past them game, you know, like, okay, we got, we got Kent state and Colorado state back to back. Okay. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get everyone going and we'll be ready to go for big 10 play or for the rest of big 10 play anyway. So uh, I, I could definitely see that to where, you know, thinking that, Kent State can cover is 
definitely a real possibility, I guess. Bo, Rob, what do you guys think? Yeah, and, and one other thing I want to uh, bounce off that too is that Kirk is very well known for not opening up the playbook. So knowing this, him and Brian are probably going to call a pretty conservative game. So with Kent State being able to score some points, I do wonder how much Iowa is going to be able to be effective on offense, especially with the struggles we've seen the last couple of weeks. Because even with Iowa State, our offense didn't look great at times. We didn't run the ball well. Outside of that big run in Indiana, we really didn't run the ball very well there, moved the ball down the field at least in my opinion, very well. So I think Iowa's going to have a great defensive game um, knowing that. But on top of that, if we can't get the ball rolling here, it, it definitely screams like a potential upset as well. I also want to note, too, that I love Kent State's Twitter account going uh, and, and saying that this this may be a huge upset week for Kent State, too. I I love the shit out of that. That, that was their Barstool account, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I, I yeah. thought it was their football account. It was it was their Barstool account. I mean, I, I'm on that train, too. I actually – so I did a five – I guess more of a Mac page, but I did five bold predictions going into the season. And one of them was Kent state wins one of their non-conference P five games. I don't know if you've seen Kent state schedule. I would argue it's the toughest non-conference schedule in the Mac. They go to Texas A&M, they host VMI, they go to Iowa, they go to Maryland next week. I had them winning one. Of them. I'm leaning the Maryland game when I made that prediction, of course, but you know, I still think Kent state's got a shot of doing that and, uh, Kent State loves to schedule I mean, big games next year. Kent State goes to Georgia. They go to Washington. I mean, you're talking about a program that, I mean, they're money games, let's be honest, what they are. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like Coach Lewis is setting them up to see what it's like to be a big boy program. I mean, Kent State, in my opinion, is a more of a Mac follower. You know, Tyler, of course, is on, on, on the sidelines at, in, in good old Kent, Ohio. But, you know, Kent State's the program that is trying to be like that NIU that Western Michigan, when they were making, you know, NIU's Orange Bowl trip against Florida State, Western Michigan in the Cotton Bowl versus Wisconsin. Like, this is the type of program that that's what Kent State's trying to be. I mean, Kent State has probably one of the worst facilities in the MAC, and yet they're still able to recruit top talent. I mean, at the end of the day, like, this is a coaching staff that, again, I'm not saying that Coach Lewis by any means better than Coach Ferentz. That's why, you know, this is not favorable in that sense. But I mean, that's why Kent State's so good is Coach Lewis is able to outcoach. 75% of their schedule. So that's something too, that I think kind of leaning on Kent state as well, kind of gives me some confidence that this game could be pretty close. I've even debated making the, the drive over from my new home in Nebraska for this one, just because I think there's maybe a chance it's, it's worth at least making a five hour drive for it. <laughs> that's excellent. <clears throat> I think, you know, one thing that we say all the time when we're looking at the Hawkeyes, especially on this show is that Dylan, and I don't know if you want to say it, but like, Usually every year the Hawkeyes will win one and lose one that they should. Every and, year, it never fails. And this one I think is is a little bit scary uh, going into, especially ranked so highly so early in the season to to be going against a team as different as Kent State is to the rest of their schedule. Uh, I think this game for sure is. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about this, uh, Tyler. But, you know, it's interesting that the way that they um, their their flash fast offense um, is is constructed because almost strategically it kind of takes away like some of the scheme out of uh, out of a defense and really uh, makes our defense or any defense really rely a little bit more on their athleticism and their conditioning and things like that, um, which, to be honest, I don't know. I can't really say for sure if, if our defense has been tested like that so far. 
Yeah, I think AM had a pretty good game plan against it. But the thing of it is, you know, it's not so much that they're going to hit you on the big plays. It's that they're going to keep you back on your heels and you're just not going to have a chance to set yourself and figure out what it is that you want to do. Um, and so you find out pretty quickly in the first couple of quarters whether you have a game plan in place that can stop that type of offense or not. But, but you know, a lot of people are going to look at this game and they're going to pick apart, can the Iowa defense, because Big Ten teams classically known for their defense, can the Iowa defense stop the flash fast offense? That's not what I'm looking at in this game. What I'm looking at in this game is, can Iowa hang on to the football? Because that's been the problem for these first two opponents. Texas A&M, four turnovers. VMI, four turnovers. I mean, you're looking at a situation where Kent State is top in the country in interceptions, second in turnovers force, as I mentioned before. That's where they've gained that momentum, because you take a defense that has five minutes over on the sideline with their defensive coordinator trying to put the pieces together. And now, Oh shit, we've given up the ball. We got to get back on the field and go back to work. So I guess for me, that's, that's almost a bigger factor than, you know, the Kent state offense against this Iowa defense. My question to you guys for this matchup is how, how confident are you in Iowa's ability to not turn the ball over to a defense that has just been jumping on every opportunity so far this year? And with that being said, I think that Iowa is going to try to run the ball as much as they can. I think that Tyler Goodson's going to get a ton of carries. I think that Ivory Kelly Martin's going to get a ton of carries. I know that, you know, you, you had alluded to Kent State's defense being a lot better about, against the run, but I think Iowa is going to do the best they can to run it down their throats and throw as minimal as possible, knowing that their DBs and secondary has been so, so, uh, so good so far this season. Oh, absolutely. And you, and you look at, you know, these past two games for Kent State as well. And uh, although, you know, like Tyler said, it's clear that their rush defense has gotten a lot better. But still in the last couple of games, you've given up, you know, 445 yards on the ground. So I still think that's where Iowa's bread and butter plays well into that. And, you know, essentially how Iowa's going to win this football game, you know, given a little preview of Dylan's keys to victory is, you know, time of possession, holding on to the ball, keeping the ball, you know, out of that flash fast offense's hands and, um, you know, by not turning the ball over. And I think we've proved first two very, very tough defenses week one and week two that, you know, Iowa can avoid turning the ball over with the exception of, you know, a couple fluke fumbles versus Indiana. But uh, that that's one of those things that Spencer Peters has done very, very well this year. You know, all criticism aside is he hasn't thrown interceptions. He hasn't turned the ball over. Sure. I, I, I'm sure you guys can hear that. I was just knocking on wood and, and that just made the dogs in the background go ape shit. So I, I apologize for that. But, you know, just try not to jinx ourselves here. And, and then I end up doing that. So apologies, but, but anyways, very, very confident in the offense there. Sure. And really quickly, one last point. I, I know you guys mentioned this might be kind of a look past some kind of game, but I, I think I, I don't think that's going to happen. I've seen this a lot in college football, but you look at the situation, you're talking about a team that was a known quantity coming into the season. And then you're talking about a team that held fourth ranked Texas A&M to 10 points at the half. It was 10 to three. So, I, you know, again, maybe maybe Iowa looks past an opponent at some point this year. But I think that's enough of a warning shot to any competent coaching staff, which Iowa certainly has to look at that and get their guys ready to go and say, look, this is a real opponent. We need to take this game seriously from the get go. And something to, to add to that, too, I think, you know, he mentioned it to a point that the 10 to three. Kent State's biggest issue, and you might think it's crazy to say that considering their ability to put up points, but they're not good from coming from behind because they are such an up-tempo offense. They'll start slinging the ball around like crazy. I mean, 
we talked about the turnovers that Kent State caused. Dustin Crum threw two interceptions against in Texas A&M, too, because he's trying to force stuff. They're playing from behind. Texas A&M went down and scored pretty early in the first quarter. And, yes, it's only 7 nothing. But when you're a team like Kent State playing a top-five team on the road, when you go on the road like that, you're when you're down early, you're trying to make things happen quickly. And that's Kent State's biggest, you know, issue sometimes with this flashback offense is their inability to kind of come from behind because they just start – they're going so fast. Sometimes they almost go too fast for their own well-being. So, like, if Iowa can – win the opening kickoff, drive down the field, and a good old five, six-minute Iowa-type rush to run the clock, pound the rock, use those offensive linemen kind of situations. Kent State's going to have to come out here. And the, the nice thing about Kent State offense is it can score, but it also has a lot of quick three and outs. I mean, you could Kent State could really screw themselves over by trying to go up-tempo against Iowa, have a two-minute drive, and then the offense – or excuse me, the defense is coming back on the field after being – ran for seven minutes because Iowa can just pound the rock like that against Kent state. So if Iowa can jump out early, in my opinion, like for example, if it's 14, nothing, 14, three going in the second quarter, I think Iowa's was going to cover with ease because Kent state's just not going to be able to keep up. But if it's kind of like what, you know, Kent state did with Texas A&M where again, it was 10, three after one, but then it kind of slowed down a little bit. You know, yes, you can look at the fact Kent state slowed down Texas A&M, but Kent State, that was when Kent State was making those big mistakes. They had a, a chance to actually tie it before the half was over uh, and took it and threw an interception in the end zone. So it's one of those situations, again, where if Kent State can't get on the board early, then Iowa should be able to just pound the rock and be able to take a, a pretty comfortable lead and just wear out Kent State's defense because at the end of the day, they're not they, Kent State's not used to going body blow for body blow like Iowa is. Mike, I'll pass this one back to you because I have a question about your quarterback. I mean, does he typically like to throw the ball as much as I mean, you're saying, or is he more of a runner? Because at least from what I'd saw anyway, he's really mobile, loves to move his feet. But uh, at least in any way from what I'd saw, his, his passing game wasn't as great. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a terrible comparison because Lamar Jackson's a, you know, a high-level athlete, but he's kind of that type of – that esque of quarterback. You know, he, he uses his feet to open up the passing game. A lot of their big plays – and maybe Tyler can correct me if I'm wrong here, especially last year. Uh, I, I, one of the games I really solely focused on being from Northeast Ohio was that wagon wheel game against a very terrible – and by terrible, I mean dog shit Akron football team. But yeah. in the day, like Dustin Crum was having so much success because – when he was throwing the ball, it was after a 12-yard QB scramble. You know, one of those things that, uh, you know, I don't want to draw a comparison to a rival for Iowa, but Dustin Crum is kind of like an Adrian Martinez type for Nebraska. You know, he's the type of guy that, yes, he can throw the ball, but the amount of times if you watch Nebraska football, Adrian Martinez misses a wide-open receiver. Dustin Crum kind of has that kind of situation sometimes, again, where he's just – he's moving so quickly, he overshoots the, 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 the halfback coming out in a four- or five-yard out route. You know, that kind of situation is where Dustin Crum can have issues. Again, Tyler, he's on the sideline, so he sees a little bit more than I do from the guy watching from his couch in Nebraska. But, you know, that's something that I think, you know, again, for for Kent State purposes, you know, you're going to have to keep an eye, you know, on the ability. If Iowa is keeping Dustin Crum in the pocket, yeah, Iowa is going to have success because, because, again, Dustin Crum, unfortunately, doesn't have the greatest of accuracy. And unfortunately, too, and again, Tyler, maybe can correct me, but, I believe the, the the defensive backs for Iowa have a major advantage over the receiving core at Kent State. Yeah, I mean, this is this is just me projecting because obviously I was not a part of Kent State at all a year ago. Um, you know, I watched some film, I look at the numbers, 
And let, really quickly, let's go back and revisit that four-game season that Dustin Crum had. He was the MAC Offensive Player of the Year. In four games, he put up 1,181 yards. He had 12 touchdowns to two interceptions, completed 74% of his freaking passes. And then you look at what he did on the ground. He put up 240 yards on the ground in four games, four touchdowns, did not fumble the ball one single time. There were expectations placed on him coming into the season that he was going to be able to replicate that. But let's be completely honest, that was against a terrible, terrible, terrible schedule when you look at some of the teams that they played. And some of that did get exposed against Buffalo. But, I mean, you look at you look at that Bowling Green game. I mean, Bowling Green had the worst rushing defense in the country. They allowed 315 yards a game on the ground. So, you know, again, I, I think that Crum has a ton of talent. But I think there is, to a degree, that shadow of the expectation, you know, that he is going to become an NFL, a highly touted NFL prospect potentially this season, that he can replicate the kind of numbers he put up a year ago. And I think what we're seeing is him kind of regress back to, to what he is. And that is a very, very solid quarterback who is a dual threat, who can run when he needs to. But for my liking, I'd still like to see him be a little bit more aggressive. And I think that's something he's kind of grown into a little bit. I think the VMI game helped certainly with that. Um but as far as where Dustin Crum is at, I, I think that we're really going to see, you know, the, the final product here in this final year. And I think games like the one against AM and like the one upcoming against Iowa are going to speak a lot to that. That's what's tough, too, for Kent State. And, and just in general, whenever you play a MAC team in, at any Power 5 level, I know one thing that drives me nuts with the MAC is I think now, now the Sun Belt's being what it is, we are the worst conference in college football, you know, I went to Buffalo, Nebraska this past weekend just to cheer on the Mac. And I honestly had expectations that Buffalo was going to give Nebraska a run for their money. And Buffalo is one of those teams, again, that was receiving first base, first place votes to win the Mac East this year, just like Penn State was. You know, Western Michigan was kind of a dark horse in the West and got rolled by Michigan. You know, we've seen the Mac kind of go up against these Power Five teams, Big Ten especially. I mean, Ohio couldn't even beat Duquesne, and they were a Mac preseason dark horse to win the East. So unfortunately, it's really hard to kind of translate that over. I want to believe that the Mac has an upset in them somewhere, but it's hard to look at the Mac right now and take those numbers, like you know, like what Tyler mentioned, you know, how how well Kent State did offensively against Bowling Green and Akron and Eastern Michigan, even Buffalo last year, you know. But at the same time, they dropped 41 against the Mac runner-up in Buffalo last year. They lost 70 to 41. I mean, that's a ridiculous score. It's a basketball score. If you're a basketball fan, that's more than what Virginia basketball scores. So it's, it's insane to me that, you know, the Mac has such a high scoring ceiling, but at the same time, it never translates over very well against the power five. And that's, you know, that's, what's concerning. I was hoping that by this time, you know, we would be looking at minus Northern Illinois uh, upset win over Georgia tech. There really hasn't been much, you know, for the, for the Mac to kind of hold their head on. I mean, when Ohio hosted Syracuse week one, I genuinely thought Syracuse was going to lose that game in Athens. And Syracuse took it to Ohio. You've now kind of seen where Ohio's at. I mean, Akron jumped out to a 14-0 lead to Temple and lost 45-14. to I don't know if you saw Temple and Rutgers. Rutgers won 61-14. to So the max, I guess the whole transitive property, I'm not a huge believer in it, but at the same sense, like no real outlier here that gives the MAC, it gives me a ton of hope that even the top-tier team like Kent State in the MAC is really going to go up especially let alone any big 10 team, like even Maryland next week for Kent state, but especially a team that's of Iowa's caliber that, you know, was slept on all year. I mean, I don't, I still understand how they weren't the Mac or excuse me, the big 10 West preseason favorite, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know how you can translate those numbers. Cause I mean, let's be honest, the Mac defense is 
are pretty brutal. I really quickly, I just have one more point that I wanted to make. I'm not trying to take you guys to show hostage or anything, but I think, <laughs> good, the, I, think the, I think the one piece of this that has not necessarily been addressed as much as it needs to be is Sean Lewis. Um, Sean Lewis has done something at Kent state that I have not seen at any other collegiate program in a very, very long time. Um, he took a program that was dead in the water, that was doing absolutely nothing that was spinning in circles, winning two games a season. And he has built something here that I think differentiates itself from a lot of these other teams that you hear about in the Mac. And it's really starting to come into fruition here this year. You look around at this team, you look at the playmakers, you look at the guys that are stepping up. Two of their best offensive linemen are transfers. Five of their best defensive players are transfers. They just got a great wide receiver coming in here from Syracuse this season. I mean, again, it, you're, you're starting to see players coming from power five programs. They're the right tackle in Bill Kuduk. He's from Kansas State. He comes in to play at Kent State. I mean, again, these are not the kinds of things that you typically see. But, you know, again, it's hard to understand from the outside. But then I got here and I had a chance to talk to Coach Lewis and just kind of look at the way he runs this program. And there's something different about this. This team does not feel like kind of your classic Mac team that's just going to go run the score up um, and not come out and play defense. He wants to do things in a different way. And I think he finally this year has the pieces to do that. And that, that's made this team very fun to watch. And I think this program is definitely trending in the right direction. One quick add-on to that I thought was really – it's pertinent to what happened with USC, of course, Clay Helton getting fired. Again, this is all message board stuff. But just to give you an idea of how much, you know, respect Sean Lewis has across the country, you know, James Franklin is kind of one of those names being thrown around right now uh, for USC – and some Penn State message boards, of course, start playing devil's advocate and looking at if James Franklin does leave Penn State. And one of the top five names that keeps showing up is Sean Lewis. And that's kind of crazy to think about because, again, he's such a, like Tyler said, such a weird style. He wants to do things so differently compared to the rest of the country. But it's kind of the same type of love. And, again, it has been working out as well for Syracuse. But when Dino Babers left Bowling Green, kind of the same type of stuff where people were just – awed by what what was going on especially again I mean Tyler can see it every single day the facilities at Kent State I can't harp it enough if you gentlemen from Iowa have not looked up what Dick Stadium looks like in, in Ohio it is a glorified high school football field. I mean he has when you're recruiting at Kent State I mean the fact that your arch rival Akron 15 minutes up the road has a, a very nice stadium a brand new indoor facility and they can't even compete compete with Kent State's recruiting classes is insane to me. That's how well of a guy Coach Sean Lewis is. And again, he's getting the respect slowly but surely nationally. I don't know if you guys want to look for something really cool. Go back and look at when Jimbo Fisher was previewing the Kent State game, all of the love he was giving Sean Lewis. I mean, this is Jimbo Fisher, a guy that's winning, who's won a national title before, who's now the highest paid coach in college football. I mean, that, that kind of stuff. And again, I'm not trying to you know throw, throw, throw the horn around, but even Nick Saban, and for those of you that don't know, his alma mater is Kent State. So he actually, you know, hyped. He, he even said that he thinks that Sean Lewis is potentially the future of college football. So that's something you can kind of add to as well. Again, that doesn't necessarily affect how Kent State's going to perform on the field for Iowa this week. But in terms of where Kent State's going, and again, this is not just some low-level MAC team. This is a MAC team that, again, Tyler alluded to it, really is doing something special. And I mean. If you guys want to get a laugh, seriously, go look at Dick Stadium in Kent. It is. <laughs> I played there in youth football 15 years ago, and it had 15 years. It's very interesting, and you said it, Micah. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, if Sean Lewis is the future of coaching in college football, he's going to have a heck of a test 
this Saturday against the longest running head coach in college football in Kirk Ferentz. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup um, and a perfect segue to kind of move us forward into um, looking at Dylan's keys to the game, which is a segment that we look at each week and feel free to hop in and tell us some keys to the game, maybe um, for Kent State as well. So Dylan, take it away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so you guys know, uh, I always like to give my keys to victory from the week prior so we can see how I did. So offensively versus Iowa State, I said we had to establish the run and be, it would be the Spencer Petras coming out party. And I think my bold take was that he was going to throw four TDs. So I was wrong. But <laughs> but they ran the ball well enough and Spencer, Spencer Petras played well enough along with that defense to win the game. So I'm calling it a win and I'm calling it a correct prediction. So that is what it is. Defense, you had to contain Brock Purdy and Brees Hall uh, rushing the ball and then win the turnover margin. They did that. So I'm pretty reliable. And then (laughs) on special teams, I said a punt won the game in 2019. So kicking and punting will win the game Saturday. Now, when I said that, I really did not believe that punting would win that game. But if you watch that game, that was a nonstop field position battle. And Iowa State's punter was not up to the task compared to Tory Taylor. So uh, you Kent State fans might be laughing so much at us, you know, talking about how important this position is, especially in the Big Ten. But field position is so crucial along with time of time of possession that, you know, Kirk Ferentz and that boa constrictor mentality that I talk about, you know, about just squeezing the opponents to death, essentially just squeezing out the clock and, uh, you know, winning that special teams battle. They did it again, and Torrey Taylor, my God, I I would damn near consider him the MVP of that game. He played out of his fucking mind. So, Torrey Taylor is like low key, probably one of my favorite players on the team. The punter, let's go, baby. Oh, I, I, same. I think I I I think he has a very good shot at winning the Ray Guy Award. So, uh, call that a bold take. I don't really think that's that bold. So, but moving on, my keys to victory for this week versus Kent State. Offensively, we have to establish the running game. You cannot get the passing game going in that Iowa offense without first establishing the run. I think this is the week to do it. If this Kent State defense has a weakness, their strength without a doubt is getting turnovers. You look at their two cornerbacks, Montre Miller and Elvis Hines, but between the two of them have eight interceptions, I believe. It was either seven or eight, but I know the defense in total has eight interceptions. So uh, I'm pretty sure it's seven between the two of them. But still, I mean, these guys are absolute ball hawks, and doesn't matter who you're playing. Uh, we have we have to be weary of that. So if we could start out running the ball and, you know, get these guys creeping up a little bit and give a chance for our wide receivers to get open, I think we can have a field day. So offensively, we got to establish that running game. Defensively, you got to make Dustin Crum beat you with his arm. And so I think that's what we saw a little bit in the second half of that Texas A&M game, looking at the film where, you know, and, uh, oh God, Micah touched on it a little bit ago too, where, you know, when he's playing from behind, you know, you start seeing him forcing things, uh, making bad throws. And that's where most of his turnovers were coming from, coming from. So if you can make him beat you with his arm rather than, uh, what are the two names? Uh, Marquez Cooper and Tyler, who is your other running back? I forgot his name already. Uh, Xavier Williams. Xavier. Xavier Williams. Thank you. That's who it was. Okay. I forgot to write his name down, but yeah, if just cannot let those guys beat you on the ground. And so if you force Dustin Crum 
you know, to beat you with his arm, I think we're going to have a really, really good time Saturday afternoon. And then special teams, I'm saying we need to have one return TD. Now, I know absolutely nothing about Kent State special teams, but we've been so close. Charlie Jones has been so close to breaking a punt return versus Indiana uh, versus Iowa State. I think this is the week that he can do it. And, you know, winning the field position battle. I touched on it earlier, but punting is proven to be a crucial, crucial part of this 2021 Iowa Hawkeyes team. And, uh, you know, most of the listeners probably won't remember this, but 1981 Iowa Hawkeyes, Kirk Ferentz brought it up because he was a member of that coaching staff. He said, you know, and he said he was half joking when he said it, but Tory Taylor genuinely reminds him of Reggie Roby. For those of you that don't know who Reggie Roby is, he's a hall of fame NFL punter, uh, passed away a few years back, I think, but played a long time with the Miami Dolphins after his time at Iowa and was a big part of that 1981 team that went to the Rose Bowl. So, I mean, that just goes to show you the level of praise that Torrey Taylor gets for this being his only second year of football ever. You know, Kirk Ferentz said it in the press conferences today where, yeah, this guy doesn't really know what he's doing football-wise, but he can kick the ball, and he's a great guy to have around the team. So, hell yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see it. So, um, but that – Fellas, is my keys to victory. Uh, Tyler and Micah, let's hear your keys to victory for Kent State this weekend. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think for Kent State, I mean, again, a lot of things are going to have to go right if they're going to pull off an upset, especially on the road against one of the toughest teams um, in the Big Ten in Iowa. But I think there are two big factors that this comes down to for me. The first is going to be time of possession. You cannot let Iowa spend all day long on the football field, which means they have to find a way to slow down that rushing attack, force Iowa to drop back and pass, and maybe try to get some turnovers as well. Against BMI, again, they won 60-10. to 10. They outdid them in yardage 698-288. to 288. They only won the time of possession battle by three minutes. That's it because of how, how quickly that offense works. So they got to find a way to stay on the field a little bit. They got to find a way to get that defense off the field. But the other thing, this team has learned how to flash fast. They need to learn how to flash smart. The penalties were a massive problem against VMI. Nine penalties, 98 yards. Most of those of the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or variety. And they had a touchdown taken away because Marquez Cooper front flipped into the end zone. They called it a spot foul at the one yard line and took those six points off the board. That cannot happen if you're going to upset a team like Iowa on the road. So those are my two big keys. You know, again, find a way to get that defense off the field, work what you have on offense. And then for the love of God, just keep your head about you when it comes to these penalties. Again, you learn to flash smart. Who knows? Maybe this team will do more than just cover. Yeah, and to, to, to add to that, I think my biggest key, I'm kind of glad Tyler didn't touch on it because I was, I've been adding some research just to make sure I was right. So the last five Kent State losses, so we're going back all the way to 2019. Of course, they've only lost one game this year, one game last year, and then they had three straight losses in 2019 uh, in MAC play. They didn't score first. Every other game they've scored first or scored on their first drive. So that's Ooh. something that's really, really big for Kent State. I mean, last year – their only loss was the Buffalo 70 to 41. They still scored 41 points. You know what the problem was? They were unable to score on their first three possessions. So if Iowa can come out, we we saw it at Texas A&M. Kent State did score a field goal on their first drive. But after that, they did absolutely nothing. If you can win those first four possessions, if you're Iowa, then you should have an easy day with Kent State. But if Kent State can drive down the field, and let's say they put up 14 in the, in the first four possessions they have, they're A, going to feel confident. Two, it's playing into Kent State's style. I mean, let's be honest. 
I mean, yeah, you, you dropped 38 against Indiana, but how much was that? How much was that of, of that was the defense scoring? So Iowa's offense is not known for, you know, getting into shootouts. So if Kent State can kind of push it there, that could potentially, of course, play into Kent State's favor. But when we, we, we see it with Kent State, they need to start. I mean, the flash fast thing also applies to starting fast. You know, they have to score first. They have to be on the board. They have to have some confidence because at the end of the day, if their first three drives are, are three and outs or, you know, again, maybe one or one first down tops per drive, there's not much for them. And, and Kent State, you mentioned special teams. They don't have a bad special teams unit, but they're not really used to punting in the MAC. So forcing them to kind of play the field position battle, not something Kent State's really used to doing. I mean, again, when they play Texas A&M, they lost the field position battle pretty heavily to Texas A&M. So again, you mentioned Iowa's strengths in terms of that's what they need to do to win. I mean, really it's kind of a flip with Kent state. They got to win the field position battle, but they honestly have to, like if Kent state's down 14, nothing early in the first, like midway through the first quarter, I'm not saying I'm turning the game off because I'm still going to put myself through it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to start wondering whether Kent state can even cover at that point. Gotcha. Perfect. Well, we can move straight into um, our predictions and we like to do a little section where we have any hot takes uh, for this game. Um, you know, whether that would be, you know, aimed at the uh, betting lines for the degenerates out there or whether it's just something that, you know, you think is going to happen so we can go into that. And, Bill, I don't know if you want to get us started with uh, predictions for this upcoming Saturday's game against Kent State and, and any hot takes you got and we can go forward from there. Yeah, I'll start off with hot takes. So I know a lot of this, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the rushing game for Iowa really needing to get hot. But my hot take this week, and for those who uh, who are Iowa fans watching the game, have been really pissed that we haven't had Tyrone Tracy in the passing game lately. So my hot take is he's going to have more than three targets this week or more <laughs> than three catches. Uh, I think it's going to be really important for our passing game to get him involved. And I think Petrus really needs to stop looking down his tight ends and start looking for some of those receivers especially with how much hype we've had around Tyrone Tracy in the, in the off season. So I'm going to go with Tyrone Tracy having more than three targets and catches. Uh, but I really think again, after talking to everybody here today, that Kent state is going to keep it around for a little while. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, uh, but uh, I think that Iowa's is going to take this one. 34, uh, 17 is what I have um, with the Iowa Hawkeyes beating the Kent state flashes. So um, I'll pass it to uh, who's ever next, but I got the Hawks winning this week. You, you go ahead, Rob. And also, sure. also next week, we're going to have a segment called Bo's Warm Takes, since he refuses to ever have a hot take. Tyrone <laughs> Tracy is going to have three receptions. Are you kidding me? He Look, look back at the last two games. Good he hasn't God. had more than two. Whatever. Rob, go ahead. <laughs> so now I'm scared to give mine. Is mine going to be warm? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, here we go. So in my opinion, I think where this game is headed is going to be an Iowa win, but I have the score 38-21. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. Um, I think that we're going to see the over hit in this game, uh, which is, you know, partly leads into my prediction there at 38-21 for the Hawks. My hot take, I think that all of our running backs who are in rotation are going to come up with touchdowns. So I think that's going to be, um, you know, Ivory Kelly Martin, Tyler Goodson. Um, and then all of a sudden, Gavin, Williams. Uh, Gavin, yeah, we'll go ahead and put him there. But anyways, no, Sean Williams. No, Gavin. I'm thinking Gavin. Anyways, all three are going to have touchdowns. So, that's what my hot take is for this game. What do you think, Dylan? Well, I could, first of all, I could not be more upset that my hot take – well, first, Bo had a warm take, 
and then you just flat out steal my hot take from the outline that was sent out. I could not be more upset. Is that what, hold on, let me go back. Is that what you have? (laughs) That sure is. Yeah, check that outline again. That's okay. That's okay. I'll switch it up. I'll switch it up. No big deal. If you want to switch, I can switch. I'll switch mine. You had yours first. I literally did not mean to do that. No, you remember I told you to go first. Oh. It's my own fault. I should have known. I should have known. Okay. Okay. I think it's going to be a rushing affair. So, anyways, continue. We got got Bo with his warm takes, and we got Rob with his Benedict Arnold-like behavior. (laughs) So, anyways, so Iowa – we're going to win this ball game and the score is going to be 38 to 13. That's my prediction there. As far as a hot take goes, you know, I, like I had written down that I felt like Iowa was going to have four rushing TDs. I'm throwing that out the window because Rob stole it. So okay. I'm changing it up. So I'm going to say we get in the end zone and it's going to be through the arm of Spencer Petras. I'm going to complete 180, complete wow. 180. Yes. We're going to have 150 yards plus rushing but Spencer Petras is going to have three touchdowns. So a two-part hot take there. Tyler, what do you got for score prediction, and what's your hot take for the game? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Bo, Bo has inspired me to go lukewarm. I think when the when the game kicks off at 3.30, the sun's going to be in the sky. That's my – that's my – no, I'm just messing around. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, I'm, I'm going I'm going hot, guys, 34-17. Uh, and I think my hot take is actually uh, looking at this line and looking at the way I think that Iowa's going to try to play this, bet the under. I really – I mean, again, you're, you're thinking over. You're thinking that MAC team, the top-scoring offense in the country last year. I don't know how much time they're going to be spending on the field, and I don't know how productive their time on the field will be. And honestly, I think if Iowa – if everything goes perfectly for Iowa – they do all of this in the minimal number of drives. They spend as much time as possible on the field. They punch in at the last second. I honestly feel comfortable taking the under in this game. So that's my hot take. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm a little disappointed, Tyler, because I was one of my, I actually had two. One of my hot takes was going to be the under as well. So just to kind of back up what Tyler said, because, you know, for those of you that like gambling, I don't actually gamble, but I love the, the process behind all of that. In <laughs> uh, the last, Power five games, last five Kent State has played, and that has included Clemson, Wisconsin, Auburn, of course, you know, Texas A&M, and then I think it was Ohio State, I believe, was the other one. Uh, Kent State has either been under or when they've hit the over, the team they played hit the over by themselves. So to give you an idea, I don't think Iowa is going to score 56 points or 50, whatever spread you're looking at. So that's why I'm leaning under. They hit the under against Texas A&M. They actually – only hit the over against VMI by half a point. The spread was 16 or the over under was 69 and a half and they <laughs> 70 total. So they literally cleared it by half a point. So I'm going to go under as well. Uh, this is maybe a, it's two things, but it's one giant hot take. I think Iowa is going to have 20 more snaps on offense and they will have at any point the rest of the season, in any game. And I think Iowa is going to eclipse 500 yards of total offense. Texas A&M's putt-putt offense was able to do it. Yes, I think Iowa's offense is as good as Texas A&M's offense. I think that they're looking at 500 yards again as well. Kent State loves to give up chunk plays. They do like forcing field goals and forcing turnovers in the red zone. Texas A&M turned the ball over twice in the red zone as well against Kent State. So it's kind of a, we don't want it, we'll give it back to you kind of thing with Kent State and A&M in the red zone. So I think that Iowa's going to move the ball with ease. It's just a matter of whether they actually finish off drives. And if you're smart, Iowa, you'll realize what Texas A&M did in the second half and run the ball in instead of trying to throw it in. Excellent. 
And I forgot, I forgot to make my score prediction too. I think it's going to be 37 to 10. I think Iowa's going to, it's going to be very similar to the same score A&M and Kent State played in. Okay. So you got, so you got Iowa covering Micah, but you're still hitting the under, correct? I do. I do have Iowa. I, I don't trust Kent State's ability to put up points early and I don't trust Kent State's ability to have the uh, to be able to go at the pace they want to AM was able to wear out that defense to the point where if iowa really wants to they can run for three yards every single play in that third fourth quarter and just make kent state stay on the sidelines and dustin crumb is 100 percent one of those quarterbacks that needs to be in a groove to be successful through the air gotcha okay cool cool well that great great predictions everybody and really the last thing we got here is our hawkeyes and tall boys mailbag and uh one of these questions, and I, I'm going to pose this one to both of our Kent State uh, correspondents that we got here in the building today. Uh, they want to know, guys, and I guess us Iowa fans can answer this too. It doesn't matter. But which Iowa player reminds you the most of Kent State legend Julian Edelman? Oh, are, we, are, we going, are we going Julian Edelman in college? Or Julian Edelman in the NFL, because, I mean, I'm sure you guys might be aware, Julian Edelman was a quarterback at Kent State. He was not a wide receiver. Correct. So Correct. Julian, Julian Edelman, the quarterback in college who was, well, for lack of a better term, just athletic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or are we going with the Julian Edelman that was Tom Brady's favorite receiver for a couple of years winning Super Bowls? You know, I, I'd say either or. Either or. Oh, man, my Iowa football history is is not great. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. You guys are Iowa guys. Who, who is, who, who's been over the last 10 years your, your Jack Army knife? Like, you're your kind of guy that maybe has been – I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's a different side of the ball. The first guy that comes to mind with me would be, like, Desmond King because he was incredible on defense. But, I mean, he was a danger in special teams. So, that's maybe my closest argument, I guess, I can make. Again, it's a completely different side of the ball. But – I mean, what Desmond King was able to do, not only, of course, defensively as a, as a defensive back, but again, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it felt like almost every other week he was taking a return of some sort 20, 30 yards down the field. So maybe mm-hmm. probably the closest thing in terms of just being a multifaceted player that can beat you in multiple ways. Absolutely. No, and I, I guess when I saw this question, you know, I was thinking kind of like you as well, where, you know, more of that Julian Edelman in college. So, I was thinking C.J. Beathard for the Iowa fans out there. 2015, yeah, he was mainly just a quarterback, but the dude made plays on his feet. Uh, and when I think of Julian Edelman, I just think of a hard-headed football player, a guy that wasn't afraid to stick his head in there against you know some of the toughest linebackers and the toughest safeties in the league. Um, and probably saw a lot of that in college from him as well. So that's my pick, C.J. Beathard. What do you guys all got? Yeah, I, I had Tim Dwight. Never the biggest guy. Oh, that's but a good fast, one. And one of those players that built his way up from the bottom and never quit. So I had that's a good one. Timmy D, that's a good one. Tyler, you got one? Honestly, I've been trying to, I, again, my, my Iowa history is a little, uh, a little rusty for sure. Um, Dwight's, okay. Dwight's probably better than anything I could have said. Like, as much as I hate to just freeload off of, uh, off a of bow down there, that's actually, a, that's actually a really good take. Um, and I don't have a, enough of a depth of knowledge to pull anything better than Tim Dwight out of my out of my tail end right now. So I'll go with that. And then how about yourself, Rob? You got one? Yeah, I was thinking more along the lines of this year's current team, the players on this roster. I was thinking 
either a Charlie Jones or like a Tyrone Tracy, somebody who's shifty and can make plays uh, with their feet. Uh, I don't know. That was, that was the only people that came to mind for me, but I was thinking more of this current year's team than, uh, than past year. So. Sure. Good question. Excellent question from one of us. And then we do got one more as well. And so they want to know guys, and this is mainly for the Hawk fans, but feel free to chime in if you got anything, fellas. Is it realistic to think the D can continue to cover up for the offense? And that, that one's from Tom, a buddy of mine up in Cedar Falls, uh, follow of ours, follower of the podcast. And I, I think it's absolutely realistic. You know, you hear that old saying back from your high school football days, all of us, uh, offense, offense is going to win you the games during the regular season, but defense is going to win you the championships when it counts. So, I mean, what, what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think that's a, a relevant question, especially when you look at this year's team, we had some question marks coming into this year. I definitely did not think that they were going to be as good as they seem to be so far. I also think it's a small sample size. Um, you know, we've played two pretty good programs this, these last two weeks. Um, so I think that it's a rel- you know, it's, it makes sense to, to wonder about that. You know, when are we going to break? When are we going to have a team? Are we going to be this good all year? Um, I think that we do, we have found some decent depth um, in our secondary, which has been able to kind of give us the ability to um, play at a lot of different, I guess, give them some different looks, but I've been really impressed with our defensive line getting pressure, um, which I was not very confident in going into the season. Um, So I think as long as our D line continues to get pressure, um, then I think that the sky's limit for the, for our defense right now. I think our linebackers are playing great. They're, they're making tough tackles. I think that our secondary um, has been really showing out. And as we thought that they would, they're, you know, a lot of veteran players in our secondary, they're able to pick off some balls the last couple of, of games, but um, the real question mark was a D line and so far so good. So I'm going to say tentatively, uh, yeah, you can continue to expect that. Um, we're, we are going to get tested towards the end of the, not saying that we're going to get tested, not going to get tested against Kent state, but uh, I do think that it's going to be interesting to see like how they hold up, you know, when we get into the, the belly of the season, you know, when we start to look at game seven, eight, nine, things like that. What do you guys think? Yeah. One thing I wanted to add, and, and I'm not sure if you guys had already said this too, but I think it's going to be on the backs of the, on the, uh, the linebacking core and not, not Seth Benson, not Justin, or sorry, not, uh, not Campbell, but Justin Jacobs. I think if we get him more in that cash role, continue to have him play, uh, and rotate in and out with Dane Belton or even be on the field with Dane Belton. I think that this defense can carry the offense. I do think that Spencer Petras is, is going to grow. And I think a lot of folks, as Dylan alluded to earlier, uh, are ready for a quarterback change. I just don't think that that's in the cards right now. There's nobody who's ready. Not a great backup. Now, Padilla, he can run. He can throw. It sounds like he's, you know, he's accurate, whatever. But he's only done that against the second string or the first string there in, in, in practice. So I don't think he's ready. He doesn't have a game snap. So I think the offense will turn around. But I think it's going to be uh, heavily relying on the defense to continue to do well. Obviously, the secondary is awesome. But our linebacking core is who uh, I, I'm really looking on uh, to, to lean on their shoulders here. I don't know if you guys want an unbiased opinion, but I actually have a, a take on this too. If you sure. guys- Go ahead. Hell yeah. So, so you guys don't, you guys don't know. I've never told you guys. I'm actually a college football traveler. So I've been to four big 10 game game, big 10 games in person already this year. I actually went to uh, week zero, Illinois, Nebraska, 
went to Ohio State, Minnesota, Michigan State, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Penn State. Actually, I've been to five now. I think I was going to Nebraska and yeah. Buffalo last week as well. So I've been to five Big Ten stadiums just this year. Kind of a traveler, like I said. I used to work for the ACC. For those, I, can, I don't know if you guys do live stream for those or not, but you can see all the ACC garbage behind me. I used to work for the ACC full time. So I've always been an ACC type guy. So now that I live in Nebraska, I'm trying to you know re-get my Big Ten roots from growing up in Ohio. And there's no offense. And like, and this is, again, I have a little bit of an AC bias, of course, having formerly worked for them. But the Big Ten does not have a quarterback that scares me. So defensively, when you're you're a def- defense like Iowa, that's just, honestly, like you said, the secondary is incredible. I've been impressed with what I've seen. I mean, the fact, I was actually going to go to Indiana, Iowa, but I was like, eh, that game might be a block. I didn't expect it to be as bad of a game as it actually ended up being. Shout out to Iowa for playing lights out in that game. I mean, I look at Iowa's schedule. And honestly, the only game, having seen what I've seen in person offensively, the only offense that scares me is honestly Maryland. And you're the better team in that situation. I mean, Maryland, again, obviously it's two of his brothers, so there's that. But, you know, Mike Loxley likes to run up tempo, loves to spread the rock. You know, they made the West Virginia defense, which, again, it's Big 12 defense. But let's be honest, when you think Big 12 defense, you think West Virginia or you think Iowa State. So those are the two schools you think of. And they had their way with West Virginia's defense. I think Iowa's defense is better than West Virginia. But from my opinion, I mean, you're 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 going to be able to score against Illinois. I am actually a Virginia alum, and, you know, you saw what we did to Illinois last week in <laughs> football. You know, there's something that there, – there's something there. I mean, Northwestern, it's a Clemson castaway. Graham Mertz is overrated as heck. I mean, I don't care if I get over – you know, I get hot takes. Penn State's offense is terrible. Uh, and they're a defensive team. I can't wait for a six to three win for you guys uh, against Penn State on a hopefully a primetime game on Saturday. Hell yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, like I just go you know, again from a non Iowa fan perspective, I don't see why. Like I, when I say I think Iowa's, I'm going to knock on wood for your guys to say destined for a potential 12 and 0 Big Ten West championship. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because the two best offenses you're probably going to face, in my opinion, are Maryland and Minnesota. And you're better than both of those teams. Friday night in Maryland before Penn State is probably the only game where I'm like, ah, Iowa might, that might be, you know, that would be the, it would be hilarious kind of thing because Iowa would be ranked third or fourth in the country and then they lose to a Maryland team that's not ranked. But <laughs> outsider's perspective, I'm, I'm very high on Iowa and, you know, I know a couple of years ago, you guys were just on the cusp of the playoffs. I think this Iowa team, again, from an outsider's perspective, is much better than that team. And that team almost made the playoffs. So, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I think if I had to pick a team to make the playoffs out of the Big Ten right now, it's Iowa. Having seen Ohio State in person, I think that they're very suspect this year. That's just Especially me. their defense. Their defense yeah. is yeah, terrible. Can't, they can't stop. I mean, again, I'm an AC guy. Anthony Brown sucked at Boston College, and he's able to go into the shoe and just sling the rock. I mean, that's that's a, and, and no offense to, to 12th year senior Tanner, Tanner Morgan, but he had some <laughs> success too throwing the ball against Ohio State in what was a 50 50 crowd in Minneapolis. As in, I, I saw that first. So, absolutely, absolutely. Well, no, no, that, that those are all great takes. And obviously, our fans, and as you guys heard in my prediction pregame, you know, my prediction in our Hawkeyes and Tall Boys intro was that we'd go 12 and 0. Of course, that was from three years ago, two years ago, but nonetheless, <laughs> I like it. So, but yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, fellas, Tyler, Micah, both. Thank you guys so much for coming on the pod. You know, we, we, I think it's safe to say we all learned a shit ton about 
Kent State today and, you know, just <laughs> enjoy having you guys on and we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. 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 So, and then I did want to give one quick shout out too before we do wrap things up to our buddy, Sam Lar. He actually won our weekly uh, prediction contest where he won himself a six pack of Bush light. And what did that great man do fellas? He donated it back to the podcast. So, and all he he asks is that we just keep, keep delivering grade a content and I'm not going to accept it. So he said he's making it back for a tailgate this year and it's going to be the Penn state one. So we'll have a six pack waiting for him there, but just wanted to shout out Sam Lar, co-college uh, fellow D3. The real MVP, Sam Lar. That's real right. MVP. MVP, Sam Lar. So Perfect. We, we appreciate you. We appreciate you guys coming on and Rob, I'll let you wind this thing up. We're going to wind it up like we always do, guys, with a little Hawkeye victory polka for you Kent State guys. This is what happens uh, – and this is what you're here after we win on Saturday. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, thank you so much. It's been great to have you. Everyone, thanks for listening. You can follow us, um, you know, on Twitter, at Boys. You can follow us. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can listen to us where, all, where you get all your, your podcasts from. So thank you so much. And for those of you that don't know, now we are officially on Spotify. So we've been on oh. Spotify a few weeks now. You can find us on YouTube, Google Podcasts, all that fun stuff. So perfect. Thanks, guys.